about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, uh, had a, a, a man come to the church I was at and never seen him before. And, and like would happen when I meet someone new coming into the church, I might try to get to know them better. So I asked if he'd like to go have coffee. He said, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, well, he must not have had a good experience. Uh, and he said, no, let's not do coffee, let's go rock climb. Go rock climb? I don't think I've ever done that before. Uh, So he then took me to the Triangle Rock Club in the Raleigh area, and I fell in love with climbing walls. When we moved here, I missed having something to climb. And so... Tessa's parents bought us some wood and holds, and we put a rock climbing wall in our basement. And now I get to climb walls anytime I want. (laughs) Been thinking a lot about walls, walls. But they're not always fun, right? Like, walls aren't always fun. You don't always get to climb them. You don't always get to have exercise involved. Sometimes walls separate. They just don't separate separate rooms, they can separate people, relationships. One of the most famous walls I think you're already beginning to think about is this one right here. You, you, you remember this image? This is, what, what wall is this? Yeah, Berlin Wall, one of the most famous images to come out of the 1980s when the Berlin Wall begins to be taken down. And this man here, this iconic image of him taking a hammer to that wall, this was an important moment in the history of the world as that wall starts to come down. Sometimes it's not just a physical wall that needs to come down. Sometimes they are non-physical barriers that keep us from one another. Sometimes it's bitterness, unforgiveness, it's pain, it's a past hurt. And that needs to come down so that there can be connection. A famous image that came out years ago in the aftermath of the Rwandan genocide is this image right here. As this woman, a Tutsi woman, embraces a Hutu, this man, this Hutu, is the one who killed her husband. And it was years later that they reconnected as she forgave him. And then this image was captured and then spread around the world. Another wall that comes down. Been thinking a lot about walls. Think a lot about walls. Our passage today has a lot to do with walls. We're going to continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark. And we're moving at a good pace here as we take these large chunks of Scripture And take a look at what it means, not just in the day it was written, but in our life. Today we walk through a passage that has a lot to do with walls. So let's take a look. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, we start with verse 1. And we just move through this passage that is going to have a lot to say for our lives. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 through 23. This This is our passage. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they gathered around Jesus. And they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless 
they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come to the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your mother and father, your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them, Rather, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. Verse 16 is not in most ancient manuscripts, so verse 16 is not in the New, Living, uh, the new International Version. That's why you see it at 16 in brackets, so we're going to keep moving to verse 17. After he, said, after, he, uh, after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the, the, this parable. Are you so dull? Yes. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He he went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice. Deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Got a lot going on in those 23 verses. And I see, I see some shifts happening. So I think, of, I think of us moving through this passage and seeing shifts as we move. And so I just want to take a glance at some of those shifts as we move through the passage. And one thing I see right, off, right at the front, one shift I'm seeing, something that catches my eye that's moving in the passage, is that something's happening between Jesus and the Pharisees. Just because you gather around Jesus, by the way, doesn't mean you're ready to listen to Jesus. Right? The Pharisees have gathered around Jesus, but to catch him. They see him doing something, and so they question him. Now, this isn't the first time the Pharisees have questioned Jesus when they see that his disciples are doing something different than they would do. If you remember, back in Mark chapter 2, the Pharisees questioned Jesus just like this. I just want you to take notice of what happened in that moment. Just take a quick look. Mark chapter 2, 23 through 28, just taking some excerpts out of this passage. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, 
As his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisee said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now he answered, Have you never read what David did? And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now here Jesus does respond. He responds to the Pharisees. But I see Jesus here clarifying. He's clarifying what's happening with his disciples. By the time we get to Mark chapter 7, this shift is beginning. It's already, it's already taking place where Jesus doesn't just clarify something his disciples doing. He confronts the Pharisees. At this point, he just doesn't clarify why they have, they're eating without washed hands. He has confronted them and he's called them hypocrites. So we're seeing a shift happening now, this follows in what we've already seen up to this point in Mark. You and I know, because we are so in tune with this gospel, this story Mark's writing, that now that we're at Mark chapter 7, we know that the tension, that the drama between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness is increasing. That we are going to eventually reach a climax in the story. It will end on the cross. We're not there yet. Mark has not brought us to the, that point in the story. But as we have walked through Mark, and as we sit in chapter 7, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light are increasingly at odds with one another. And so Jesus here doesn't just clarify, he confronts. And this will continue as we move through the gospel. So you just keep an eye out. For that shift continuing as we move closer and closer to the cross, it's going to be at the cross that the battle happens. But we're moving in that direction. And so here we see a stronger confrontation than we have yet seen between Jesus and the Pharisees, but it will continue. So the content, the content is important. The, the content of the confrontation is important. So if we're just moving through the passage, not only does Jesus move into confrontation do we see that shift, we then see right on the heels of that first shift of confrontation, we see this other shift happening, and that is to the actual content of what Jesus has to say to the Pharisees. He says what? That they have, they have let go, they've let down the commands of God, so that they can hold on to the traditions of men. That is, these rules that have been handed down over time. That's very important for us to see. Because these commands of God, they're not just some arbitrary rules that are laying out there somewhere in the universe. These commands of God have something to say about the way we live real life. And these rules of the Pharisees, they have something to do with how we actually treat people. So let me just pull that into a summary statement. Just take a look here. God's commands are about loving God and loving others. The Pharisees' rules are about elevating themselves and protecting their status. There is, there is a contrast between the commands of God and the traditions of men. So what, what's not happening is Jesus isn't saying that all tradition's bad. Jesus isn't saying that handing down things over, over generations is somehow evil. Jesus has no problems with church traditions. He's fine with having church traditions. They're good. They give you anchors. They help you, they help you solidify faith. 
What Jesus has a problem with is when you hand down rules over the centuries that actually hurt people, that actually are more about elevating yourself and then protecting your own status. And that's what we find happening with the Pharisees. So if I had to translate that into the image of a wall, this is how I would do it. I would say this, the Pharisees built walls that blocked the flow of love from people to God and from people to people. So these rules, these traditions that have been put in place are actually keeping people from experiencing God. There's this flow of love that's coming from this relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet these rules, like you've got to wash your hands before you eat, because you know how many people were walking around thinking, if I don't do it right, then I must not know God. Many people were being kept at a distance because they weren't keeping all the right rules. These rules were blocking the flow of love from God to people, people to God, and between each other. There's this wall that had been created, this barrier blocking that flow. And this really was all about maintaining power, sustaining privilege. It was, it was about evaluate, elevating themselves and protecting the status they had gained over many years. They had a system to keep intact. There was a lot of money running through the temple. And so you had to keep the machine going. And to do that, you had a host of rules in place to keep that thing going. And we know that the Pharisees were really about themselves. There's, just, there's several times where Jesus will talk to the Pharisees in all these different places in the Gospels, these Gospel accounts. So I want to just like pick out one place Jesus says it really clearly in John chapter 5. Take a look at what Jesus says to the Pharisees, John chapter 5. Quite an indictment. He says this, your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one, the one who alone is God. They loved giving each other awards. Like they would have an Emmy night every few months, okay? They'd roll out the red carpet, and they would lavish honor on one another. This is the way this worked. So if you came with a PhD, then you had all the credentials you needed, and you would be honored. But if you came humbly as a servant, well, that didn't work in the system. If you came wealthy, writing a really big check, well, you were probably going to get a lot of honor. You were going to work in that system. If you came as a humble widow with two coins to give, well, then there really was no place for you. The Pharisees were concerned about their status, their privilege, and they wanted to maintain, they wanted to maintain the pride that had grown over these many years. And so they really had no room for love. And when you are elevating yourself and you are more concerned with your privilege or status, you're going to start putting up walls to keep people out, to make sure to protect that. This is what the Pharisees had done over the years. But this isn't like a Pharisee problem. This isn't like, this isn't like, this isn't like a bash the Pharisees morning. This is something that had been going on for a very long time in the history of Israel. Really, it has been happening throughout human history. It just so happens 
that the Hebrew scriptures, that the Bible we have in that Old Testament just records a lot of, a lot of that history with a particular people. Now, the prophet Isaiah saw this. Remember that Jesus, Jesus quotes Isaiah? Jesus quoted Isaiah to speak against the Pharisees. Well, there's another passage in Isaiah where he does something very similar. I want you to see, I want you to see something in Isaiah 58. Take a look. I want to summarize the passage before we actually get to it. Isaiah 58 exposes how religious leaders and wealthy people used religious rules and rituals to block the flow of love. This has been going on a long time, long before the Pharisees ever come on the scene. What we're going to see here in just a moment in this passage is that there is this ceremony, there was a ceremony of fasting. There was a ritual, a particular rule that had been handed down on how to fast and when to fast on certain days. And what would happen is the people would use that ritual, they would keep that rule, the letter of that rule, while hurting one another and oppressing people along the way. And so they would say something like, but we went to church, and God will say back, but you oppressed people along the way. The leaders would say, but we did the right thing. And then God would respond, but you did it all in the wrong way. And so here were a group of people making sure that they kept all the rules, the letter of the rule. I mean, you could look at them and check off the box, done, they fasted. But Isaiah looks under the surface and says, but you missed the whole point. By keeping the rule, you put up walls all over your city and you hurt people. Take a look. I just want you to take a look. Uh, And if this steps on your toes, you're not the only one. Oh my, this is a good one. Tell my people Israel of their sins, yet they act so pious. Like this this is like Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Sunday night church people right here. Like these are the good looking people. Yet they act so pious. Yet they come to the temple every day. And they seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. But even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Mm. Man, if it could only be about rules, this thing would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? If it was just about fasting the right way or washing your hands before you eat, then you could nail this thing. But it's not just about keeping all the rules. Rules can quickly become walls, and walls block the flow of love between God and people and people to people. And so what Jesus does here is he exposes, he exposes how that happens, right? He, he, he gives an example, and he, he tells them, that there's this, there's, this, there's this principle in place to honor father and mother. Yet the Pharisees had come up with a rule that said, if you pledge, if you pledge money to the temple, then you can't reverse that pledge. Isn't that convenient? So if you have parents that need help, yet you've already pledged 
the money to the temple, the Pharisees will say, I'm so sorry. You've already pledged that to God. Would you take a pledge away from God? And they would throw that God card down. They'd throw a good guilt trip on anyone who tried to reverse that pledge. And what Jesus says is, by, by upholding the pledge, a man-made rule, you are nullifying God's rule, the heartbeat to honor father and mother. You're actually keeping people from honoring the commands of God by upholding your rules. And then what Jesus does right after he gives that example is he makes that last shift in the passage. So as we've walked and we've kind of moved through these shifts, we move into that last shift. And Jesus exposes how deep this problem really is, right? This isn't just a, you got to do the right thing at the right time. It's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. And you're not going to fix this thing just by coming up with a different set of rules. It's not like you need to just pass new legislation and all is fixed. This is a lot deeper. It's, uh, it's in the inner world. It's on the inside, this thing. All this stuff is coming. This stuff is growing and emerging from. So this is, what, this is the way I'd like to say it, if I could take Jesus' words in this last shift and just put it into a sentence. It's out of the heart, out of the heart grows walls that block us from the love of God in each other. It's out of the heart. So these, these walls are not just arbitrary. We're not just sitting down trying to, just trying to figure out how to block love from one another. All that evil, all that evil is already inside. And it just comes out. And it comes out in ways that are harmful. And so those are the shifts I'm seeing through the passage and my, they have application for us, I think. They have application for us, like right where we are. I actually think that verse 13 in the passage, Jesus tips us off to something about the Pharisees that I think has application for us. Let, let me, let's kind of let it be our transition. Take a look at verse 13. It's where he said, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. I would say looking at the Pharisees, that we do many things like that. I think that's where the application comes. I think that we do a lot of things like the Pharisees do. I think we have ways of, of coming up with and building walls that keep us separated from people and from God. And so we really need to evaluate where those might be. And so I'm just, I'm asking myself some questions. As I've sat with the story and I've moved through some of these shifts in the narrative, I'm just asking myself some questions. So maybe these questions would be helpful for you. Maybe sit with them through the week. In what ways am I trying to look better than other people? Ah, oh, that can happen in a lot of different ways, y'all. You got ways of looking better than other people? Now, sometimes that means like literally looking better, like the way you dress looking better than other people. And sometimes, depending on who you're comparing yourself to, that doesn't take much, right? Right? Sometimes we're trying to make ourselves look better. See, this is where social media can be such a problem. Not because, not because social media in and of itself is evil. But it doesn't take long to start seeing everyone else's life and want their life. But, but when you have an opportunity to make sure they know that you have a better one. And we got all kinds of ways of doing that in, this, in the world of social media. 
And so I'm not picking on any platform, and I'm not picking on any person or any type of photo or post. These are heart issues. These are heart issues. But think about all the different ways that we try to be better than people. You know, I like, I like being better than other people. And sometimes I can throw a good dose of humility at the front of my sentence and then throw my compliment to myself in the middle and come back around with a little humility. And you think I'm something. You'll think I'm something. That's just a well-built well compliment to myself sandwich. That's all that is, <laughs> right? And because I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to have a little humility. So I just play that card a little bit. And then I'm better than other people. And you know how we, we all do this. There's, we all have our ways of playing this out. But what happens is when we start trying to be better than other people, there's usually, there's usually some brick and mortar right next to us building a wall, if you, if, you, if you thought about it long enough. So let's take a, another question I'm asking myself. Do I block others from experiencing God because I have personal rules I expect others to follow? Hmm. You know, you know, there are groups of Christians that see one version of the Bible as the only version you can read. One English translation, translation, mind you. And they will only let people read from that version. I got no problem with liking one version. But when you make one translation the translation, that's making a personal rule a wall. There are all kinds of translations, English translations, that get at the sense of the original language. Now, that's an easy one. Like, that was my softball, okay? That's my softball. You know what happens when a youngster years ago would walk into our youth group with a dirty shirt on or a cut-up pants? You know what's going through my mind? Pull up your pants, wash your clothes, And look better when you come here. That's what goes through my mind. But do you know that I don't, that sometimes that's just how they needed to come. That's just how they needed to come. You see, I have have personal hygiene standards. I remember, I remember one person in the youth group one time who smelled really, really bad. And I mean really bad. And no one wanted to sit next to this person. And we went, about, we went on that journey as a youth group for quite a while. And there, was, there were walls. Like, there, if, if you could have seen, if we could have, like, visualized the wall, they were really close to that person, just like this, because no one wanted to smell them. Until some people in the youth group were fed up with the walls and decided to talk to this person and help them get down the road to personal hygiene. And you know they had never been taught some of those things. And no one had ever loved them enough because of their home life to get them moving in that direction. I just want you to think about the rules you have or the way you think that someone has to experience a God. And maybe sometimes those are walls that will keep people from actually knowing God. Just want to think about that. Those are some questions I'm asking myself. And last one. Do I avoid or mock certain people because I think they're beneath me? Oof. Yes. Yes, I do. There are plenty of people I try to avoid. It is none of you. I love all of you. 
It's the people that aren't here this morning. Those are the ones. Those are the ones. <laughs> so this, this is something I'm thinking about. Because often I try to avoid people or mock them. Because in my heart, I really think I'm better than them. And you know, that's just another way of putting up walls. And when those walls go up, it is breaking the flow of love from me to God, God to me, and them, and between each other. So these are some things that are going through through my mind as I try to bring this down into real life application for me. And I hope maybe this is helpful for you. Let's take a next step. A next step. Something that we can do this week and begin to think through. Practical. Remove a wall that blocks the flow of your love to others. Remove a wall. I don't think you, you and I can remove all walls in one week. But remove a wall. Remove a wall that is blocking that flow of love, your love, to others. So think about what that might mean. You know, I talk about this often, but some of you may not understand how pervasive a smartphone can be in the world of a family, a young family. You know, this often is my wall. When I am bored, tired, or, or just spent mentally... This thing is a wonderful distraction. And sometimes if you came into my home, this is my wall. And this keeps, this blocks the flow of my love to my kids or Tess. This thing right here, this can be a wall. I don't know, maybe this, maybe I, it's just me, but maybe you can relate. Maybe you can relate to how a smartphone can become a wall. This is just one, one option, right? In our world, we have all kinds of prejudice that we carry inside of us. Now, some of the big ones are skin color, right? Those are some of the big ones. But sometimes it's education levels. Sometimes it's income levels. And we will avoid and we will, we will stay away from people that don't look like us or sound like us. And so maybe the way you remove a wall this week, if, if you have some prejudice inside you, is that you start praying for the person on the other side of your wall. Maybe the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, and, and you just start praying for them. I'm not saying that you go have lunch with the people you don't like. I'm saying maybe you just start with a prayer. And I think the Holy Spirit can start moving you to where you could sit at the lunch counter. That, that might be a place you could get to. But this week, you just start with a prayer. You know, some of us have bitterness. We have anger towards someone or a group of people. And I'm not saying that you just have a whole self-forgiveness this week as if it's that easy. Because maybe you were abused and you're still carrying all the pain. But maybe this week you just start by saying, God, I'd like to get rid of this wall. I'm going to need some help. And that's how you start removing a wall that breaks the flow of your love to others. I don't know what this exactly looks like in your life, but I know that you and I can put up walls just like the Pharisees did that blocks the flow of your love to others and to God. And so the next step is in that direction. Now, this is not another rule. This is not just another thing that you check off, the, check off as if it's a box to be checked. This is, not, this is not what this next step, the direction of this next step. This is not just a matter of acting like you're righteous. If we were on Broadway, we could act our way into heaven. That'd be fine. But this is not Broadway. We are not called to act righteous. We are, we are pushing, we are moving 
towards inner transformation. That's the goal here. So this next step, this next step is not behavior modification. This next step is giving space. It's, we might even say it's holding space for God to do work on the inside. Because in the end, all of these issues are coming from the inside. So let me put up a reminder as you take, as you take a, 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 if, as you move towards this next step this week. This next step, this next step is one way to open ourselves to the grace of God. As we change the way we live in real life, God moves deeper into our inner life to change us from the inside out. That's what this next step is all about. So it's not just another rule. I'm not telling you to act a certain way. Let the Holy Spirit do some work inside of you and just move the needle one degree. Let me pray for you in that direction. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that Jesus brings so much wisdom for everyday life. And thank you that he conquered death so that we could be transformed from the inside out. Forgive us for all the deceit and all the defilement in our own heart. And may your grace just keep filling out our inner world so that we blossom with good things. Help us to remove walls that are blocking the flow of our love to others. We're going to need that help. And so get us, get us thinking and get us moving in that direction. And we'll hold space for you to do work on our insides that only you can do. Have mercy on us. We are thankful for your grace. And we pray it in the name of our King, our Lord, and our Savior, and our Teacher, Jesus. Amen.